yes. And uh, doesn't look it one bit. You don't look an age, a day over 49. You look great. You look awesome. <laughs> Amen. All right. Titus chapter 1. I've been enjoying this, and I hope I can preach my face off, as Christy said. Because when you get caught up momentarily in the glory of God and worshiping God, and you forget about what's going on, and you hand him your burdens, and you press through what you're feeling, and you worship him, and his presence begins to take over. It's a taste of what heaven will be like. And we will be able to worship unending because we'll have these new bodies that won't get tired. So in this rehearsal right now, we press through in the natural realm uh, that we may be filled with his presence, filled with his glory, filled with his power. And I thank God for these world-class musicians and worship leaders who take seriously what they do. And I also take seriously what I do to attempt to feed you a good meal with the word of God, the bread of God. So Titus chapter one, verse one, Paul, a bond servant or slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our savior to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. In these opening verses, his salutation, it's really a deep theological dissertation because before we can even jump into many of the practical truths and realities that are found in this book, where in chapter one, he's focusing on the need for good leaders. And in chapter two, we'll see the need for good teaching chapter three, the call to do good works. Before we can even get to these places, I'm still hung up on these first few verses here because in his salutation, as I mentioned, it's a great dissertation that tells us about who God is. Because if we don't know who God is, we can't know who we are. If we don't understand our position in him, then everything that comes from there as far as our practice can be and is usually done in the wrong motivation and in the wrong spirit. But when I recognize, get a glimpse of, get a taste of who this God is, it changes everything. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about meeting God from these first verses of Titus. And we saw that he elects, that he has sovereign will. And he gives us human will. We have the ability to choose because we've been made in the image of our creator. But sovereign will and human will are not the same thing. And it's a mystery how the two go together, how God does not override our human will, yet our human decisions do not thwart 
his divine plan and purposes. I, I do not understand it, but that's another thing to cause me to marvel at him and to worship him with expectancy and joy. And then last week we talked about the fact that he cannot lie. Uh, and, and in order to really see that and appreciate that, we had to compare that to us because the book of Numbers says that God is not a man that he should lie. So to really understand his truthfulness, it is compared against the backdrop of our, and I created this word last week, our lifefulness. We lie so much, um, like breathing many times. We distort the truth. We don't always come forth with what is reality and what is objective but not God. He always tells the truth. And because he tells the truth, he can be trusted and we can have a safe and secure relationship with him because everything about him is true. Whereas the enemy, Satan is the father of lies and he was lying from the beginning. And Jesus said, he'll lie to the end. He's a liar. So we must understand truth in order to combat lies from without and even lies that arise from our flesh within. Pastor Darrell was telling me that his class on spiritual warfare and your identity in Christ, it was dealing with that today, how to overcome when you're in spiritual warfare. We all need to know how to fight. And then today, we're going to look at how this God we serve is eternal. Next week, if he allows, we'll talk about how he saves, how he is God, our savior. But today... This God that we serve is eternal. So I have three questions as I look at verse two in particular, where it says, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. So I've got three questions I want us to consider today. Number one. Who did God make a promise to? Who did he make a promise to? And number two, what did God promise? And three, when did God promise? I want to share with you that the way that we learn the Bible is by asking questions of it. When you read it and you digest it and you read it slow, ask questions. Observe what is going on in the text Don't rush on to get to the next passage because many times there's so much meat in the passage you're on and it sets up the passage that you're trying to get to. So as you ask questions, take time and ask God to help you do inductive Bible study to answer those questions. And above all, you ask for help from the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we sing that you are welcome here. This is your house. Flood this tabernacle flood this temple as you flood our hearts and our minds for this moment for the next few minutes as we will be uh, washed with the word and inundated with truth for the next few moments may we be able to focus so holy spirit help us to not only hear what the spirit of the lord is saying to this church and to each individual through the word But give us the strength, the grace, as we sang, to put it into practice. Thank you, Lord. We're excited to see how you will be glorified in this text. And for some of us, we're going to learn new things today. Others, we're going to be reminded, as Elder Paul said, of things we already know. 
But when it's all said and done, may you give us a good case of heartburn because you've talked to us. Did not our hearts burn with us when you walk with us and talk with us along the way? We pray it believing and we pray it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Three questions. Who did God make a promise to? Number two, what did God promise? And when did God make this promise? Well, let's try to answer those questions. Number one, who did God make a promise to? Now, the verse says that he made this promise before time began. So as we'll see in a moment, there is no one else at this time but God. So when God makes this promise, God is not making this promise to a man, even though men will benefit from the promise. Men will hear about the promise and men like me and people like you will preach and proclaim the promise. But before man got the promise, who did God make this promise to? He made this promise to himself. God speaks to himself. God talks to himself. And the reason why he does that is because our God, though he is one, he is plural in his person. He lives eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those three are one. They are not the same, but they are one. It is a mystery. We call it the Trinity. And so God was and is and will always be at great peace and harmony with himself. He did not create creation. He did not create man because there was an insufficiency in him or because he needed something outside of himself to satisfy himself. No, God is satisfied with himself. Uh, He created man to glorify him. He created creation to glorify, but not because he needed us. He doesn't need anything. But in eternity past, he spoke to himself. He promised to himself. Pastor, where do you get that from? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Because back in Bible days, when men would make promises... Or when men would make oaths, they would swear by certain things that were greater than them. So some might swear by the temple or they may swear by a mountain uh, that what they're saying will come to pass because of what they're swearing on. And so in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, since there is no one greater than God, which we just sang, praise God. I love that. No one greater than God. So God swore by himself. Oh, my goodness. He couldn't swear by the temple. He's greater than the temple. He can't swear by mountains because he made the mountains. But he swore by himself that what he promised to Abraham would come to pass. And so God had a conversation with himself. He promised himself that he would do something. Well, what did he promise? He promised to give us eternal life. He promised to give us the hope of eternal life. And the word hope means that you have a positive expectation of the future. So God gave us a promise concerning our future. And that promise gives us hope. And that promise is a promise of eternal life that he promised to himself to give us. Well, when did God make this promise? Well, the answer is, according to verse 2, he made this promise before time began. Oh, boy. He made this promise to himself of eternal life before time began. And by saying that God existed before time began is the Bible's way of saying that God is uniquely 
eternal. God is uniquely eternal. He made a promise to himself before time began. He is uniquely eternal. Now, we are eternal, but we are not uniquely eternal like God. Because as human beings, God breathed into us the breath of life and we all have souls and they will live forever, either with him in heaven when we die or apart from him in hell when people die. The soul will live on forever. But unlike God, his soul had no beginning. Our soul had a beginning. God spoke and we were born and we were birthed for, we were brought forth at a particular time to begin our eternal trek. But God never had a beginning. He was never ever brought forth. He is uniquely eternal and that alone causes us to worship him and adore him. Why? Because there is no one like him. There is no one greater than him. He is unique in his power, unique in his glory, unique in his personhood. There is no one like the Lord. And so Psalm 90 verse 2, here's what Moses, that stutterer, Yet God called to lead the people of Israel. Here's what he said. He said, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Moses had it right. You are God. Man has a starting point. Angels have a starting point. Creation has a starting point. Time has a starting point. But God has no starting point. He always is he always this is bad english but good theology he always am i am always am always in the present tense so god created time so that time as we know it could begin because it says in verse two that he made a promise before time began but has in due time So time had to start at some point and it started when God said start and that's when time started and that's why we find ourselves living in time and space trusting him that in due time in due season he's going to glorify himself in our lives but he is the one who created time which means that when he lived in eternity there was no such thing as time with God. Mm, mm, hang with me hang with me hang i'm gonna scratch my head quite a bit you see god is not measured or limited by time the way we are we're measured by time we just celebrated birthdays um bible even talks about four score and ten for men and all kinds of things like that it records the the age of adam and methuselah and all these great people it talks about when so-and-so died he was this particular age we measure time as human beings why because we're limited by time That's why in this culture, we are, as Americans, monochronic. Everything is about time. Everything is about time. We always got somewhere to go, always got something to do. We got to be on time, got to be on time. Whereas other cultures are more laid back and they're polychronic. Uh, The clock does not rule them. They rule the clock in other cultures. But here in America, the clock, the time, it rules us. Pastor, how long you want to preach? How long you want to preach? But in other parts of the world, the pastor preaches till he gets done. Somebody said, I'm glad I'm not in another part of the world right now. Woo, wow. Worship goes on. It goes on until it's time to be done. But in America, we look at time a little bit differently than many people look at it from around the world. But here's what we need to know about time. He created it. God did. He's not measured by it. He's not limited by it. As a matter of fact, time is irrelevant to God because he is eternal. Time is irrelevant to him. 
That's why it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He's not bound by the system he created. Being transcended, he sits over the system. He sits over time. He is not limited nor bound by time. He is the eternal ageless one. My, my, my. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. God not only promised eternal life before time began. I hope you saw that in Titus 1 verse 2 that he made a promise before time began what was the promise eternal life he promised eternal life before time began but he also provided the payment for man's sin long before man was ever created and had ever sinned let me back it up he makes a promise to himself before anything or anyone is created that he's going to save his creation before his creation is created and before his creation chooses chooses to sin that's God in eternity, we call it eternity past to try to trap our, to, to wrap our minds around it. But he made a promise to himself to save individuals that he had yet to create and who had yet sinned. In other words, God had man's solution before man ever was a man and before man ever had a problem. Oh, somebody should have shouted right there. He had your solution and my solution to the problem that we would inherit from our parents, Adam and Eve. He already had the problem solved before the problem was created. Because our God never ever reacts. He always predetermines. So, so that, that's something we always got. We got to know about him. He, 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 you can never fill him in on information he doesn't know already. You and I are affected by time. We don't know what's going to happen, but God not only already knows what is going to happen, he's predetermined what's going to happen, yet without violating our human will as things happen. Oh, my goodness. I can't figure it out. I'm just going to preach what the books say. Somebody say preach, pastor. Uh I'm going to keep on. Revelation 13, 8. Watch this. He came up with the payment. The Bible says all who dwell on earth will worship him, and that's speaking of the Antichrist or the beast whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from or before the foundation of the world. Jesus was slain before the world's foundation was laid. Jesus was slain in eternity before God spoke the world into existence by his word. Jesus was slain. So therefore, once again, before he creates Adam, the plan is already put into motion The payment has already been provided for man before man is created and before man sins. That ought to give you security and comfort today that when you face problems, God's already got the solution. And if he can provide Jesus for you, can he provide a job for you? If he could provide Jesus for you when you didn't even know Jesus and you were an enemy of God, can he provide healing in your body, peace in your relationships, money in your pocket, all the things we stand in need of? If we look more at God and less at the stuff, it might change how we live. He had this thing down before things went down. So here's the question, you know, because... God told Adam, the day you eat from the tree, you disobey me, you'll surely die. And Adam 
ate from the tree, his eyes were open and fellowship between him and God was broken because of sin. And not only that, but now he's going to die physically when that was not the original plan for, for man to die. But because man sinned, sin brought death physically and spiritually. Spiritual death is separation of soul from God. So once Adam separated from his body, apart from some kind of mediator or savior, his soul would depart from the living God. And we have to go to a place that Jesus told us later that was prepared for Satan and his angels. Hell, the lake of fire. Why? Because the soul that sins, it will die. How long does the sinning soul has to pay for sin? For all eternity. But the good news, God made a payment on our behalf. Jesus paid for sinful people a price that we could not pay to a righteous God. So it had to take a righteous God to appease a righteous God. The son of God died on the cross to appease the wrath of the father on our behalf. So that's how Adam can be brought back to God and we can be brought back to God. We are not redeemed with corruptible things like gold and silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And God made that payment before man was ever born or before man had ever sinned, creating a problem called sin and spiritual death. That's good news and that's why God is worthy and worthy to be praised. That's why his nature is love married to his holiness because there cannot be a pardon without a payment he can't let us slide so jesus said father i'll go for them i'll die for them because i love them and i want them with you before the world was ever born or created before you and i ever came forth it was already done so jesus had to come into time and space to pay that which he paid in eternity Oh, pastor, come on, man, come on. Oh, yeah, this is good stuff. But the question is, and I just got to stop here just for a minute because I got some theologues in the house. If Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, who slew him? Who slew him? Okay, who killed him? If he died in eternity, before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain to take away the sins of the world. Who killed him? Well, if we go back to our earlier premise, no one existed with God but God. God, who had the conversation with himself about saving man before he even creates man, tells us who the one was that slew Jesus. Well, let's look at what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 10. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. The father bruised his son. One version says he crushed his son. I thought the Romans put Christ to death. I thought the Jews denied Christ and he was thereby put to death. And I thought his blood was on our hands and we put him to death. Those things are true. 
The Romans play a part. The Jews play a part in the death of Christ. And all of us who've ever been born play a part in the death of Christ. But ultimately, it was the father who crushed his son, who put his son to death for us. Because all sin is ultimately against God. And since Jesus became our sin substitute, the father crushed him as if he would have crushed us. The penalty for our sin was upon Christ. The father bruised his son in order to save and heal us. That's love. That's so deep. That's the gospel. So here's a theological premise. Oh, my. Everything God is ever going to do in time, he has already done in eternity past. Everything he's going to do, he's already done in time. Therefore, let's live like that is true. There's nothing that we're going to face that will surprise God. May surprise us, but it won't surprise him. And because it doesn't surprise him, we need to get ourselves together and recognize he's not surprised. He's not worried. He's not on the throne twiddling his thumbs trying to figure out what he's going to do on our behalf. He knows. Matter of fact, he's already written what is going to happen. He declares the end from the beginning, Isaiah says. So at the beginning, he tells you what's going to happen at the end. He declares the end from the beginning. You and I are living in this valley called time and space. He sits above time and space. Everything that's ever going to be done in history has already been done in the mind of God. And so therefore, whatever he does in time, it's already been predetermined. In eternity, let's just live like it. Pastor, give me something practical. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Does anybody see past tense all up in that? Anybody been justified in here, declared righteous by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus? Well, if you've been justified... You've also been glorified. That's why Paul could say that we are seated right now in heavenly places. You thought you were just sitting right here. Yeah, you're here in the natural, but in the spiritual, which is how God operates, you're already in heaven, seated with him in heavenly places. You're already glorified in the mind of God. You are in the Bible and you didn't even know it. Revelation chapter 19, when Christ comes back, we're riding with him on horses dressed in white, which speaks of the righteousness of the saints. It's a war, the war of Armageddon. And as this army, we are the army following behind our great leader, Jesus. We are on these horses, but we have no weapons in our hands why because the war has already been won the sword is going to come out of christ christ's mouth i'm in the bible i'm in there i'm in the bible when the bible talks about there was a people around the throne that could not be numbered from every nation tribe kindred and tongue worshiping him saying worthy is the lamb i'm in the bible i'm there but i'm here But I need to start living here with the knowledge of knowing where I am right now because it will affect how I live down here. Oh, that's why faith pleases God. Pleases him. So when you're going through something, you're like, man, this can't separate me 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I don't know how it's going to work out, but he not only knows how it's worked out, and he's already worked it out. So let me live like it, man. Let me be cool with myself right now because God's eternal. He's got this under control. So here's the point. When we see the might of our eternal God, finite people and temporal circumstances in the natural realm will not have authority over us. When I understand who God is and that he is eternal and that this thing is already done in his mind, I'm walking through time and space. I don't need to be ruled by what I see. It was one of the brothers said in the class today, that horizontal, I mean, yeah, yeah, our, our horizontal vision affects our vertical reality of our connection with God. And we let what we see have more authority than what we believe. But we need to tell what we see and what we hear that God has more authority than what we see and hear in the natural realm. And when we start doing this, people in the natural realm, not connected to the spiritual realm, will think we're crazy. But there's a thin line between being spirit-filled and being crazy anyway. If we live like that, oh, you're crazy. But that's how folks in the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk closes where the guys basically say, man, we don't have any food in the, in the cupboard. Our oxen are gone. The vines aren't bearing fruit. We don't have anything. Then he's like, but praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Folk look at you like you're crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm Christian. I'm not crazy. I'm saved. I believe in God. He'll take care of me. Even in times of lack. That's why I've got to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction. Turn to your neighbor and say, what you're going through is light. It's light. I know we think it's heavy. I know we think it's heavy. But God is like, it's light. Now, the dude who's writing this has been through some stuff. Because I wanted to throw a shoe at him and say, Paul, what you talking about? You don't know what I'm going through. But then I had to say, what? wait a minute. This brother been shipwrecked, stoned, all kind of stuff. And he talking about stuff is light. In light of eternity, stuff is light. For our light affliction, which is but for what? Against the backdrop of eternity. This is just a drop, a pinhead. It's for a moment. Oh, God. And guess what? It's working for us. It's working for my good. Oh, if I could sing right now, you know I would. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. And let's also add limited. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So the question is, where's our gaze? What are we looking at? Because whatever we look at the most is what we're going to give more power to. And if we keep looking at things in the world and not spend time looking at the one who is above the world, who created the world, then the things in this world will keep us in bondage, keep us enslaved to fear. That's why we've got to walk by faith and not by, because your eyes can play tricks on you. It can make you think that this thing is greater than God. But if you spend more time gazing in the face of God, in the word of God, and feeding your soul with the word of God, when you see things in the natural, it won't affect you the way it would 
had you not been with God. Let me tell you about an old battle of the Jews versus the giants. Because when the giants were in the land, Israel was to go into the land. There were giants in the land. But God had promised Israel the land saying, it's your land. Send the spies in and the spies go in. They see, man, it's a good land, good land, good fruit in this land. Oh, man, they come back and 10 of the leaders say it's a good land, but there are giants in that land and we can't take that land. But two of them said, oh, oh, forget the giants. I see what God has promised us. As a matter of fact, those giants will be our food. How can 10 people look at the same thing and come away with a different perspective than the two who looked at the very same thing? Because the 10 who looked at the thing looked too much at the thing and not enough at God. But the two who looked at the thing looked more at God than they looked at the thing. The two who looked at the thing saw God as greater than the giants in the natural realm. And that's why their faith pleased God and only Joshua and Caleb entered into the promised land. Whereas those 10 leaders were killed and then the whole generation died because of unbelief. And we wonder why we can't go forward because we're trapped in the natural Lift your eyes to the hills and see where your help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord, the maker, the maker, the maker of heaven and earth. And if he provided Jesus, how shall he not with Jesus freely give you everything you need and the authority to conquer giants in your life? So that when it's done, he gets the glory for giving you the strength to step over that obstacle in his name. It's a test. That's all it is. And it's a test to see who will you believe. I know a lot of stuff, but do I believe what I know? And it's not until we hit, are hit with an obstacle, a giant, do we find out if we believe this stuff. You see, our big eternal God always gives us the big eternal picture. But we've just got to believe it. He gives you the big picture. He gave it to Abraham. Before his name was Abraham, when his name was Abram, God says, uh, this land you're walking through, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to your descendants. Wait a minute, God, we don't even have children. I'm going to give it to your descendants. Matter of fact, they're going to live here and then they're going to go into slavery for 400 years. But I'm going to bring them out with a mighty hand. God told him everything before it happened. That's what an eternal God does because for God, he already sees the end. He already knows what's going to happen, and he fills us in. He told Moses everything before it was going to happen. He said, now, Moses, um, I'm calling you to go to Pharaoh, but he's not going to let the people go. He's going to harden his heart. I'm going to harden his heart. He won't let you go except by a mighty hand, and I'm going to be glorified over him. You're going to come worship me on this mountain. He told him everything before he got started. He told David everything. David, you're not going to build a house for me, but your son is going to build a house for me. And one of your descendants will sit upon the throne forever. Told him everything. Jesus told the disciples everything. Uh, We're going into Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to try me. They're going to put me to death. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again from the grave. Now, the issue is when God gives the big picture, many times the people in the picture didn't believe what God said. To the point that even when everything happened as Jesus said it would happen, the disciples sat stupefied, wondering, twiddling their thumbs, sitting in a house, wondering until Jesus breaks through and the ladies come and say, he's risen. He told y'all what was going to happen. But they didn't believe what the eternal God said. We don't believe what the eternal God says. 
here's another thing. He may give us the big picture, but most of us struggle with the fact that he doesn't give us the details in the picture. All right, I get this. I'm going to heaven when I die. All right, all right. But what about tomorrow? Well, if I can take care of your eternity, can I take care of tomorrow? And didn't I tell you that I would give you today your daily bread? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. I got you today. Trust me today. But Lord, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? A lot of times we want the details because we feel we've got to have control. And if we know how he's going to do it, that gives us control. But God reminds us that we're not God. And so he doesn't give us the details so that we won't try to get the control, but that we will just lift our hands and say, I worship you. I praise you. I trust you. Even if I don't know what you're doing. That's how he's working on all of us. Oh my, oh my. And he also tells us the big picture. The Bible says in first Corinthians chapter 15, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And before he told us that we have the victory, he went through and talked about how this mortal will put on immortality. There's a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We will rise. Death has been swallowed up. Death has lost its sting. The grave has no victory. Thanks be to God through Jesus who gives us the victory. So that's why we are victorious. Not because of what we do, but because of what he's done. He's not on my team. I'm on his team. We're like New England Patriot fans. Yeah, you won the Super Bowl. And you walk around talking about we won. We won. You're wearing your Brady shirt. We won. Man, that's cool. My team, the Seahawks, won a couple of years ago. And I was saying the same thing. We won. We won. Wearing jerseys of the team. We won. And none of us played one down in that game. Talking about we won. You didn't win. They won. And because of your association with them, you are now a winner. You wear winner's clothes because you're with a winner who did the work so that you can say we won. We're wearing winner's clothes and it's called the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. I didn't die on that cross. He died on that cross. He did the work and because I'm with him, I won. We won. And when you know that, it changes everything. On May 2nd, the fight of the century has been booked. Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd May- Merriweather, whatever Mayweather, whatever his name is. Finally got the fight booked. And they know we're going to go around and f- buy the tickets and sit in somebody's house. $50 for this, $80 for that. That's going to be probably one of the biggest draws. Now, that fight is going to happen. Nobody knows the outcome. Vegas is cleaning up. I read somewhere that the rapper 50 Cent is already bet it millions of dollars so this fight is going to happen we don't know the outcome but what if you did what if you knew who the winner was going to be and let's say you're going for Pacquiao and you knew without a doubt because you had inside information that Pacquiao was going to win you knew it it would change how you lived because you'd be walking in freedom, you'd be walking in peace, because the one I'm voting for is going to win. And because of that knowledge, it addresses and changes how I live. Even if while I'm watching the fight in time, 
And I see Pacquiao lose in the fifth round, in the sixth round, in the seventh round. Everybody else is voting for Pacquiao, but don't know the knowledge that I know. They're panicking, but I'm chilling. Because I know that a fight is not determined by the rounds. Because you can still score a knockout at the end. So Pacquiao is losing, and I know he's going to win. I'm chilling because I know the ultimate outcome. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with that fight. But I do know a fight that's already been won. And because the fight has already been won, I should be chilling. I don't have to wonder how it's going to turn out. I know how it's going to turn out because an eternal God already said so. If you don't believe me, pick up the book of Revelation and read it for yourself. And that's why Jesus says, behold, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am the one that is not bound by time. I created time. I sit outside of time. I am not limited by time. I know the end from the beginning. It's done. Lord, I trust you. You won the fight already. Amen. Father God, we pray and we thank you for just giving us a little taste of who you are, you are the eternal God who made a promise to yourself to save sinners before they were created and had sinned. Jesus, you were slain from the foundation of the world, providing the payment for our penalty. And if you can do that without our input, If you can do that, even without our prayers, if you can do that because you're God and you're sovereign, Lord, forgive us for putting limitations on you in this world. Because, Lord, that's what miracles are. Miracles are when you break into a culture with rules that you have set up and you go against the rules to do what is not natural. You do the supernatural. That is a miracle. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. The ultimate miracle is when you saved us. But Lord, there's some people right here, right now, who stand in need of a breakthrough. Today, they heard the admonishment to get your eyes off of what you see and get your eyes on who you can't see. And like Moses, persevere because we see him who is invisible. Help us to see you. And one way we see you is through worship. One way we see you is when we close our eyes in the natural and open them in the spirit through prayer. One way we see you is when we digest this book. When we spend time with people who have faith when our faith fails. You've got it all under control, period. And Jesus, just like you slept on the boat in the midst of a storm, teach us how to lay down next to you and not stress and strain and worry about what's coming tomorrow. You've got this. Jesus, you marveled at the centurion's faith. May you marvel at the faith of Strong Tower because we know you got this. You ain't got to come to my house. Just speak a word. It's done. Speak a word to your people to let them know it's done. We're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting as victors. Because of you, we squash the lies of Satan. We rebuke the thoughts of the enemy. We take thoughts captive 
that are not in line with what you say in your word. And we stand on the promises of God and haven't done everything we stand. And though the outward man may be wasting away, may our inward men and women be renewed with who you are. My God, my God, break every yoke of unbelief. We love you. There's nobody greater. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just sing a few choruses of that? Nobody greater. Just, just, just to be reminded and, and, and to cement what we just heard. There's nobody greater than the eternal God. Nobody greater. The storm is not greater. My needs are not greater. My fears, they can't be greater than God. They're not greater than God. As we close today, may this song be your prayer. Stand to your feet and let's sing as a meditation. Nobody greater. Nobody greater. Nobody greater.